crazy video. You were just looking at a crazy video? Mm-hmm. What happened? They pay this guy $20,000 every six months to climb like a 200,000-story thing. What? Shit, it went away. Hold on. Incredible. Did they just lose He it? gets paid $20,000 how many months? Every, every six month? months. Yes, to change every the light six bulb months. at the very top of like this tower, <sighs> of this cell phone tower or something. 40000 extra dollars just to climb a freaking... But like that's not worth it. That's not sustainable. Yeah, how many towers are out there like that? To be honest, probably maybe two. <laughs> I'm so sad. I freaking refresh and can't find it. I know, I distracted you because I said, hey... You ready yeah, to start the pod? Yeah, did distract me. That's okay. There's a couple of different things I wanted to talk about tonight. The first thing, obviously, is Hut. Yeah. Winner. Hut up uh, 55% since uh, I flagged it on, I think, May 28th publicly. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't understand then, like, when you talked about Hut, why you're so excited about it. I was like, oh. Yeah, you were like, oh, he's on one of his things. But I mean, I just learned to shut up because you're right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I'm normally on one thing or another. It's, I mean, last weekend it was Rivian, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually, Rivian had like a super sweet pullback today and easy to glide in and, and pick up the bottom from there. So, hopefully, um, it rebounds. But yeah, Hut, hopefully, a whole bunch of people get to retire extra early from that one. Yeah. That was 55%, you said? Yeah, I mean, that's not even the craziest play I had this year. Uh, Ion Q when it was up 268% from my entry in, I think, November last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the, only, the only thing is is that, you know, I guess if you're calculating for time, that, that's a lot longer of a lead time. There's also Palantir. Palantir entered at about $7 and then... Um, at like fourteen ninety seven now, and I mean, you just—I mean, you profit reap as you go up. So you don't—you don't actually sell out of your longs. You just keep cutting the profit, look for a pullback, then and potentially put the profit back in if that's your trading strategy for it, mm-hmm. um, or you swipe it, you swipe it out to the sides as it continues to go up, um, and then you can—you can cut in in different strategies. There's like thirds. There's like different rotational strategies that you can use. Um, and I guess for recreational like investors, you know, you don't have to have so many rules. Sometimes there's a lot of like buy lines when you're running like a firm or a fund, yeah, and that kind of stuff. And you have to fall back to, especially because um, capital might capital might sweep. You know, somebody might want to pull, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it needs their money. So, and depending on your buy line, buy lines, and and all that stuff, and the relationships that you have with your capital, you know, and what they're looking for. Uh, that's how quickly you might have to pull out. So, um, yeah, feels good. Feels good to have so many huge winners this year. Yeah. Yeah. And to be long again is super nice because being short, you have to be super pessimistic at times. And mm-hmm. um, it's a lot more fun to watch something grow, I think, than to be like, wait for it. You just be like, die, die, die. Yeah. 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 <laughs> drop, drop, drop. Yeah. That's you know? true. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's not really how the market actually works. Market function, market like markets are fundamentally built. So we have there's multiple stock markets in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then there's indexes, which can be conglomerations of multiple markets, or I guess uh, the phrase is better stock exchanges. Mm -hmm. So stock exchange is literally what it sounds like. It's you're literally exchanging stock with other people for cash. Right. Right. Um, so there's a couple of popular stock exchanges in the United States, right? The New York Stock Exchange, which is acronym NYSE, which you've probably seen before. Yeah. As well as the NASDAQ, which is the other one. Those are the two most major uh stock exchanges so we're doing this podcast at like 10 30 at night by the way so i'm going to try to recall my memory as best i can but you know it's um after an intense game of chess after we played about an hour and a half of chess and uh did you draw did we draw or it did we draw. it was a draw yeah we drew that sucks you were <laughs> that was close. close you were close almost had you yeah um so anyways there there's so the NASDAQ is more uh, buy-oriented in its auction function. So okay. there's a bid and there's an ask. So someone bids for a stock and someone's asking for the stock to be sold at a certain price, right? Oh, okay. So that's yeah. what the two functions are. There's buyers and sellers, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody bidding to buy it, someone asking it for it to be bought at X price. Okay. So... Uh, the way the NASDAQ is set up, it has an inherent buy function where where uh, the buys constantly press up yeah. because it's inherently built to 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 build. And that's why you see a lot of times stock that are listed on the NASDAQ have higher momentum on them and that the stock prices swing a lot more mm -hmm. versus uh, the New York Stock Exchange has a more uh, neutral foundational uh, auction yeah. function with it where uh, that's why you see a lot of times stocks are consolidated for longer. They stay in the same place. Um, like one of the more famous ones that are on the New York Stock Exchange that I was actually kind of surprised they went with the New York Stock Exchange was Uber. Uber actually tends to consolidate for longer periods of time and doesn't have as dramatic swings. I think that's right. If I'm not, then, you know, go fuck yourself. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I could see why you'd be so, surprised by that. one of the things when you're researching a stock entry is you check real quick, is it on the NAS, the NASDAQ, or is it on the New York Stock Exchange? And a lot of times you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, obviously, Tesla, Tesla sold on NASDAQ, has huge momentum swings, can drop hundreds of dollars in price, can gain hundreds of dollars in price. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, Apple's on NAS, so is... Uh, Google. Google. A lot of the major DAOs, like a lot of the major DAO is on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. So stocks that don't move as much and as rapidly and have a lot more weight to them uh, tend to, tend to, in the past, were, were oriented towards the New York Stock Exchange. So, yeah, so I don't remember where I was going with any of that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, I guess the auction theory is interesting. It, and it's a very fundamental driver of, of liquidity theory. Yeah. So liquidity theory is obviously, you know, buyers, buyers and sellers. And we've talked about that before on the podcast about excess buyers is shows increased, like it shows increased liquidity to buy side. And typically price is driven up because if you think about it as like supply and demand, right, there's, there's excess demand versus supply. Yeah. Um, and so naturally the price goes up 
And the same thing happens when, you know, there's excess supply versus, versus um, you know, demand, then there's then price drops. And it's, the, it's if you look at a basic economic uh, chart mm-hmm. of supply versus demand, that's the same way that, that stocks inherently function. And it's about, you know, kind of figuring out where the mass mob is moving. And the players that have the most weight, where's the stock moving because of the players with the most weight? Right. That, that doesn't... That didn't make a lot of sense in my own head. Yeah, I mean. But so let me let me just try to re like, okay. explain that real quick. Yeah. So when I'm talking about more weight, I'm talking about whales. I'm talking about funds that hold like a lot of institutional power, and they can sell a lot of stock at at one time, or they can hold a lot of stock. So if they're holding a lot of stock, they're keeping a lot of the supply off the market. Right. So they're inherently so the allowing is... market to yeah the demand to to go up yeah right or they're flushing the market with that additional supply yeah and they're gonna make the market go down right mm-hmm. so obviously like they don't want to they don't want to cause imbalances like they're all the liquidity is always seeking equilibrium equilibrium mm-hmm. um, and whatever the buyer or seller's price is that they think is is worth their equilibrium normally it's more than where they got in at right for a seller yeah. and for a buyer it's less than where they want to be where, mm-hmm. or where they determine the stock price should be so um yeah that's liquid that's a very basic guide to liquidity theory i guess i i started to remember what i was talking about before <laughs> my mind's all over the place so i hope people just kind of enjoy where we're going to go on our little journey tonight i think it's i think it's um entertaining jeez can't think yeah can't think we we wasted all of our brain power on chess chess and then putting shelves up at 10 o'clock at night yeah after this we got to go install some shelves yep which is uh gonna be easy a demand that's been on it's it's been on the list and we gotta knock it out now yeah it's like come on merlin we can do it yeah we're gonna do it we're totally gonna do it mm-hmm. and they're gonna look great as soon as they're up the wine, the wine shelves. Yep. Yeah. A nice bookshelf. And a nice bookshelf. I'm excited, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the wine shelf. So I know we touched base on it a little bit last pod. Um, I didn't know if there was any comments of any like stocks people were interested in learning more about or hearing more about. Do you? Besides the ones that you're watching now, did any like pique your interest today or anything you're surprised by today? Oh, uh, in the market? Mm-hmm. Who was surprised? I mean, so I guess there was somebody that was fall. I mean, I, I had a position in AMD and I'd been letting it kind of just lag and run for a bit because I wasn't quite sure when it was going to break down from 123 and then it jumped down to 118 and then finally it broke down further to 113. So that one was surprise. Like it's always surprising to see it finally go. Yeah. In that moment, I don't think I ever get over um, watching. Die, die, die. Watching. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was a short. Yeah. I don't think I ever really get over um, big move, being right about big directional moves. Like it, I still feel that kiddish excite, excitement, excitement yeah. for when those things happen. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because I mean, there's like some weird vindication. I mean, that's kind of what I was talking about in the stack in the stack today about how like, like how long can you endure something? Mm -hmm. And um, can you really like be patient? Can you really be patient and like let your mind just be on on fire about you know everything you doubt about the play and what you really think about yourself and yeah. all that stuff and and go long enough to to make it to the final destination of like whatever whatever you're seeking like don't let the the self-doubt like eat you up you gotta yeah only a select few can actually endure like i guess you're your biggest critic but also you're your biggest fan and right so can you out, out outweigh the critic by being your biggest fan and believing in yourself yeah and you have to just i mean be able to to endure whatever that suffering that comes along with it right know yeah. that like you, your belief in yourself drives drives yourself more than than what you know than whatever negative thoughts. thoughts are yeah. i mean that's the thing about like we've talked about it on the pod before about how you know i have this huge huge watch list and that's not even my that's not even the you know, it's not even, that's one of many watch lists that I, right. that I have and I constantly run through and rotate and review and perform research on. And what people actually get to see is a very narrow, narrow faucet of, of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we took it to thesis and gated it, uh, hut back in January mm -hmm. and, um, it, it entered the lists and started getting like, you know, the, the research, the research picked up on it. And cases got made for it, and then and then it entered like you know actual like momentum, momentum, and and it 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 met some qualifiers that we were looking for back in April, and then um, by the time you know by the time we started making entries, and it it was already May, and then by the end of May, you know I'm announcing it that hey. You, you know, want to keep an eye on this one. You're gonna want to keep an eye on this one, and I don't announce it. I announce it not like I'm trying to keep it from others. Um, like like No, it's just that I don't want to assurance, right? You wanna make sure that if you make a call Yeah. I want it to be right. Right, because you don't wanna affect, you know, other people your followers. Yeah, unnecessarily. They, and I would say they think highly of like your uh, opinions on it. Also too, my moves take a lot longer than like the average yeah. trader. The average trader can just jump into to something in, in the day and or the average investor and and you know be done and be done with it right so mm -hmm. i'm just trying to get it closer to lockdown versus like just where i'm you. moving in slowly for months for months and yeah you know yeah it's just, so by the time what's today today's june 21st mm -hmm. so january when we started on it so that's six months that's six months of scouting it determining you know all of it i mean the same thing with ion q ion q the 268 percent return on it um you know thesis got developed on it in august of last year yeah entries didn't start till november mm -hmm. on it sat on it for months i mean until it it popped in i don't even remember is it was it april it might have been april when it popped from uh i think it was for like 412 was the average entry or something like that it was very low 
may have been 468 and then it popped to about ten dollars or something like that so yeah um just might have been 368 there's too many numbers in my head i can't remember but it was a, it was one of the it was a extremely high and then and then we left at about 11 so yeah same with palantir palantir went from seven to now 16 and i mean yeah, that's a I, lot of growth. But Palantir was started in, let's say, December or January. It got gated, and then and then it moved through. And then I started tweeting about Palantir because we were looking at its contract pipeline, and I wasn't even really thinking about. I I really like their software because I've seen it used by the government before, and it's it's really nice. Yeah. And they're net positive and they have great, you know, I mean, the, the whole thesis made sense when you finally lined up for it. But the problem was, is that it's free float is so huge. And um, which uh, free float is how many shares are trading on the market. So if it, there's a lot, then it makes it hard for the stock price to go up. Okay. And if, if it's too small, then the stock's going to be extra volatile. Mm. So, and you don't want that. You kind of want to yeah. find some sweet middle ground on it. Um, and the thesis was, was that eventually they'll return value back to the shareholders by reducing free float and I could live with that. So it's been a boon that Palantir has worked out so quickly even now because of AI. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of really, really strong calls so far throughout the year. Good calls. Yep. Really good calls. Like, I don't know. I, I know like sitting here, I could see like. Not that you got emotional about it, but you don't want like people to think that you're just holding on to things last minute and then giving it to them. Yeah, I think that you like you really work like around the clock to like gauge that it's the right one. Because what was it? A couple two weeks ago, I want to say you didn't make a right call and like you were oh so yeah the hard on yourself the Nvidia ER yeah. Yeah. And even then it wasn't like there were a lot of stakes behind it. I mean, you're flipping a coin, but yeah. Yeah, I I agonize over yeah. being exceptionally right. <laughs> yeah. With with things. Yeah. Well, that's like we we've talked about on the on the podcast before. You you not only are like obviously trying to share like your knowledge, but you're also like you're trying to really help where you can. And if you make the wrong call, then that can fuck up someone's, you know, income. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, make sure that that doesn't happen. I'm just trying to provide good research so people can make the right choices, you know? Well, I would argue you have a following like you do because you continue to like take care of your followers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're not like a, a (laughs) foo-woo. I'm a moo-woo. Yeah, yeah, a Merlin guru. Yeah, but like you, <laughs> you actually like keep up with your word. I guess is what I'm trying to get. Yeah, at. I try. I try to. I try very hard to, and it means it's it's always very important to me that that I'm able to. Um, yeah, it, it's it's honestly spectacular to see because I mean, even like ten years ago. Seven years ago, when I was for when I was like you know like it's just it's night and day how how many things have have developed over time mm-hmm. you know I you just you think back I mean I remember 
writing a, a thesis on um, Chipotle after the E. coli happened oh. back in, you know, what was it, 2014? Mm-hmm. I said, I said it's a strong buy. It is a strong buy. We should be absolutely loading hand over fist into it. And then, you know, three, three years later, it, it went from what? It was like 185 to all of a sudden now trading in the 600s. And then now it trades over $1,000 a share. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, you know how much I eat that shit. I eat it every yeah. day. So. Yeah. <laughs> eat that shit up. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, I mean, it's come a, there's a lot of things that have come a long way. Even um, understand, I mean, in retrospect, looking back through like the different bubbles, looking through uh, 2001, God, I was chatting with a CFO, I think a couple of years ago, and we were talking about how um, the, company, the company's value popped at in, I think, 02. Mm. And he was talking about, you know, oh, we did this measure and we did X measure, we're, we're basically being threatened to be pushed off the NAS. And um, like, how'd you do it? You know, I, I wanted to know, seriously, no, because, you know, I mean, it seemed like we were entering a bubble at the time. And we, um, him and I had the conversation. And then um, I, sorry, a plane flew by. I don't, the story, the story is probably at its climax right now. And, <laughs> Oh, my, a plane. Yeah. <laughs> ADD brain Merlin. And it uh it probably just killed my focus on it. But anyways, we were talking about it. he say he saved it from getting pulled off the NAS and um You said you felt like um you you were were in a bubble. We are we're definitely that. in a bubble, but you buy into the bubble. Yeah. When liquidity is loose in the bubble, you, you keep doing it, you keep buying until until liquidity tightens. Yeah. And then um and then you get the you get the f out of there. I mean, you you're never first to show up to the party, and you're you always first, but you are always first to leave the party. So mm-hmm. that's that's how you go. That's how you go in a bubble. Show up late, leave early. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, sorry. I was just trying to finish what I, what I wanted to talk about with the two thousand one. You know. Even the 2001 bubble is interesting, I guess. Like the things that I, I wish I had known then, even like how much the internet has changed things and how much research you can do now versus back, uh, then. back then and, yeah. and what, what was possible. And, you know, I mean, the markets have completely changed, including like, I mean, you just think about the different regulations that have entered or, uh, you know, high frequency trading was a huge game changer and then and then options and leveraging options and and then all of a sudden figuring out how you can squeeze market makers to create you know different leveragings and then and then they took it even further and and figured out that you can even leverage it so extremely to to zero tte and i mean people think that they always i one of the funny things that i always see on fintwit is oh it's it's always fucking retail's fault you know the average trader, average investor is is yoloing on some fucking calls and making making things, you know, drive up. There's too much math involved in order to figure out a zero DTE. 
and too much too much algorithms that have to be involved to perfectly like place exactly how to like the way they move market price and perfectly set it down on you know like say the spy is trading at at 420 mm -hmm. and they perfectly push it to 418 and they sit on 418 and all of a sudden now it's you know 418 and a half is in the money and it's a zero dte and they've they just made a ton of a ton of money off of it right um there's too much precision in there for it to not be uh, uh, done by larger institutions. And that's what I talk about a lot of times with like, you know, the liquidity of everything. When liquidity is loose, follow the biggest players that are controlling the buying and the selling of things. And that's why um, I focus a lot on, you know, what's the flow and what, what's the whale flow of yeah. things. Because if we can figure out where they're, where they're positioning or where they want to position, and if you can figure out, what's going to disrupt markets and make whales want to get into that because so there's a book called competitive advantage by michael porter um everyone should read it it's like basic business 101 it, essentially what it what it talks about is how do you differentiate yourself um in and in, in like business right mm -hmm. how does a business do it you know there's special mechanics to it all that kind of stuff there's different strategies it, it's basically the the perfect book on business strategy right yeah um in competitive advantage you you realize that there's different movers to to a uh to a field or to a technology adoption mm -hmm. so there's early movers there's you know like midcomers there's like late movers right late movers are like mcdonald's yeah. McDonald's will adopt a trend late, right? After it's well adopted because they just can't afford to move. They're too big. They move heavy. They takes them a long time to get the infrastructure set up and, and everything implemented right to adopt something. Versus early movers like, you know, Tesla. Tesla was a, a first mover and it adopted, you know, electric vehicles early and, and it had first mover advantage where it was able to capture the market share first, right? Mm-hmm get a piece of it um and one of the things about like you know why am i looking for a technology disruption like when i'm looking for investments such as like ionq or hut or like why do i believe in hut's bitcoin mining piece of it because i believe that look i can go get a stake in it and i believe that it has enough fundamental value that that it's going to make sense in a decade and if it makes sense in a decade that means that whales are going to start wanting to move into it soon too so if I can beat them from point A to point B yeah. and hold until they're in, that's that's what my advantage is, right? Yeah. Is I have more agility than than, you know, say a market maker. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think the the thing about it is is like running like a small firm and uh, you know, just being a daily investor, there isn't as much magnitudes of difference as there is between, you know, a market maker which can move the entire fucking market and, you know, a fund, a fund that's just kind of midway, right? Um, so, so, so just put it in my language so I understand what you said. Mm -hmm. um, so you move into a stock that, let's just use HUT, right? You move into a stock early and then in a year or in a decade, sorry, it's 
it's now big enough where you think that whales might be starting to like go into it. So you want to slide in and kind of just be like your own, your own self. And then um, the whales then add it, like come in, but then you leave when the whales come in to make the money. Yeah. That- like you almost, you almost got the whole thing. So it's um, what I'm saying is that if I can identify that it's going to be way more valuable in a decade, yeah. Uh, that then um, I know that whales are going to want to move into it because it gives them time because they're such slow movers. Right. To then hold on to it for time and, and increase in value because they're not going to be able to move out fast for it. So it's about finding like the the right technology disruptions mm-hmm. that that are going to gain traction. Okay. So um, and then yeah, at some point, right? Like I'm going to ride the wave up. And it's going to hit a certain peak value, and then I'm going to be able to jump off and and go move into the next disruption, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going to hold it for years. Yeah. Right, because it's not at its peak value valuation yet. But at some point, it's going to become highly overvalued. Right now, it's still incredibly undervalued right. versus where it should be. Yeah. You know? Same with IonQ and quantum computing. Quantum computing is still at the start. But they think that they can manufacture quantum computers in a year from now. Uh, you know, that's like unheard of. If they can mass produce quantum, then, you know, that's, that's absolutely disrupting to an right. industry, right? right? And if that's going to create a whole pivot in computers and force an entire industry to change, right? That's something I want to be a part of and that's something I want to be in because I know that the valuation, it's not overvalued yet. It's it's 100% undervalued because yeah. not even me, I can't even understand what the market's going to get to just mm-hmm. yet. But I know it's going to be big, right? Yeah. I know it's enough to change the entire industry, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's what the strategy is. Being patient with it. Being patient, but identifying things that are going to completely change an industry. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and identifying it before and in, in getting into the share before the whales get there. Like, I know something you don't know. Yeah, yet. sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why I'm the whiz, right? Yeah. That's whiz biz, baby. Whiz biz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess you asked me, though, like, what stocks were interesting today, and I, I completely went down a whole, whole other. Well, that's okay, because I think it's interesting to, like, hear why you choose the stocks that you Mm-hmm. That you're like watching right now, because I didn't know that. Right, but like, so Rivian, for example, I think Rivian's undervalued compared to like what other luxury cars will be able to keep up with, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a design that really works. Yeah, and it works well. Yeah, and they're choosing the car because it's a better car than other cars they can buy, not because you know it's eco-friendly. It's not. There's no political cause behind it. It's just. That's a cool car. I want to own that car. And it right. works better than these other cars. I'm not doing it because, you know, um, there's, there's nothing, there's no strings attached to it. It's just, it makes sense economically to make the purchase. It's expanding quickly. Right. But, the, but when you start to do research into it, you realize, oh, okay, so they're opening a factory in Georgia, right? They're, they're uh, doing all different kinds of things that are going to rapidly expand its production. Okay, so mm-hmm. not only... Does the product make sense and is good for rapid adoption, right? They're ready to ramp it up so that they can actually capture the rapid adoption. 
right? right? They can capture the market share. Because one of the things is like, is like you can have an amazing product, but if you can't capture all the consumers that want to buy your product, you miss out on a bunch of money. Right. Right. So what my thesis, what the thesis is, is that like, yeah, it's, they're going to be able to capture a good amount of the market share. Right. Right. Because it's a truck. Right. But also an SUV. Right. But also fully electric can last longer than a Tesla, like miles wise. Right. Charging time is quicker. Right. And it's more durable. Right, and the layout and the, the inside is yeah, way better. And, yeah. Because some people, that for Tesla, there's not a truck. Right. Some people need a truck. Okay. What Caribbean. am I supposed to do? Right. Okay. Um, Tesla, I mean, I guess the Model S or X or Model X, right? That's the SUV. I think so. Like, it's okay for an SUV, but I'm thinking, like, soccer moms, right? Like, a Rivian is soccer mom van, kind of. Like, it's got plenty of room in it. Right. Tesla, not really. No. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And so, I think one of the things that, like, I encourage, you know, people who are, like, following along to do is is try to think, like, a whale's thinking. Mm -hmm. because don't see like one red day of Rivian as, oh shit, I gotta get out of my position and sell out and like, you know, I'm gonna lose all my money, right? Think big, t think big picture, think long term. Think, mm -hmm. think how is a whale moving through this? Because um, they might just be trying to shake some people out and get to a lower price, yeah. right? And they're trying to buy lower so then they can, so then they can get in and send higher, mm -hmm. right? There's like, you got to be ready to to have cash ready and, and be able to buy at the right times, and you have to have patience and not be caught up in the absolute like seconds, you know, mm -hmm. especially when when finding your entry. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to it. There's, it's a lot about mastering the mental game of it. I think that's the hardest part is the strategy and the and the mentality that you need to have in trading. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't let one bad day, like, deter you. No. You yeah. can't let one bad month, you can't let one bad year. You have to just be able to pick yourself up. And, you know, as long as you keep applying it as a learning process and keep asking questions and trying to find the right resources and, and you know, educating yourself, I think it, it goes a long way. Um, yeah. And it's good to follow accounts that, that are doing well, right? I mean, like, like don't get me wrong like an account that can pick the right the right plays is is good but it's like the saying of like you know give a man a fish feed him for a day teach, teach the man to fish. fish they you know eat for a lifetime yeah so you want you want to move towards more accounts that are really trying to teach you the underlying dynamics and the fundamentals of it so that you know um you'll be able to pick out winners because it's not not incredible rocket science to, to do it takes a lot of research sure and you know mm -hmm. dedication and stuff but um if you want it bad enough you'll get it yeah, yeah. at the end of the day too honestly i want to count on myself i don't want to be counting on somebody else yeah you know i'm That's true. i'm pushing my chips in on me i'm not i'm not taking my chance on on somebody else yeah you know that's uh that's that's a lot of you know that's a lot of faith 
in someone else to be right. I'd rather me be wrong and, and be responsible for it and learn something from it than, than you know, pushing my, my blind faith into something Yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, well, that was a lot of soapboxing. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you get me to rant. I think your viewers enjoy it though, because you think you, is you it... explain it in such like a way that like, and I'm sorry if I like interrupt, but I'm trying to also like sit here and understand what you're trying to say, because you know, I'm a visual person, so yeah, that's why I use my hands with mm -hmm. you. Yeah. That you can draw like, the ooh, the box and then the box yeah, goes and then here. There's another box, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think your viewers should know or your listeners should know that um Merlin has a thing for boxes. He finds things and he puts things in boxes and then puts those boxes in boxes. I think that's how you say organize though. Yeah. Because you you literally do so much every day. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Well, the boxes aren't like literal boxes. We don't have like. No, we don't have boxes all over yeah. our house. It's all, I keep it's things all in mental, mental boxes. It's all mental boxes. <laughs> I understand instantly how like one box yeah. relates to another box. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, what I was going to talk about really quick was so Powell testimony oh, was yeah. today. And so it's really interesting some of the things he said uh, just from the very quick and brief you know, go over that, that we did with it. Yeah. So one thing that was a critical takeaway was that um, he he said that the Fed wouldn't be responsible for a cryptocurrency, that if there was to be a cryptocurrency, it would be facilitated by a bank, aka BlackRock. And guess what? BlackRock just opened a Bitcoin ETF. So that's actually super positive. I think Vanguard opened an ET, uh, Bitcoin ETF as well. Mm -hmm. So really positive for Bitcoin miners, such as like, you know, Okay, hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's just gonna skyrocket. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other good miners out there. Specifically, I just I after doing a lot of research on hut, it's it's incredibly and severely under undervalued. Yeah. Compared to the other miners and the amount of coin that they actually have, like they're gonna be in a very very strong position for what you're buying. Yeah. So it it made sense based on the research that we were looking at and. Uh, you know, from the positions we were taking. So, and then the other, the other thing was, was that, uh, well, I thought this was funny. He said that, you know, no one has been able to really predict inflation accurately, not even the Fed. So, you know, clowning on himself that he's not going to be able to make the same, you know, the actual correct decisions about anything, which is hilarious. Uh, and I, I, at the same time too, I mean, it's, it's weird. I'm like, is it like no accountability? No, there's a, there's definitely account. There's a, there's a bunch of accountability. It's there's a lot of political there's a lot of political speech or speak a lot of political speak when the Fed talks because you know I mean they're they're not directly elected but they got to answer to Congress and Congress has got to get elected right yeah and Congress has political agendas and one of the political agendas is keep money easy right. Because they got lobbyists that want money easy, and they they got you know actual constituents that don't want you know their four hundred one ks blown up. So the Fed's under incredible pressure to somehow bring inflation down, but at the same time, you know, find a way to keep 
all these people happy while you're fucking them over their money, you yeah. know? And that's essentially an impossible task. There's never going to be there's a no way. There's never answer. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, there's modern, uh, modern monetary theory, which is about how, like, you know, you can expend uh, credit a lot faster and all that stuff. I can't get into it tonight because I'm just, I'm too tired about it. And I, explaining MMT would be a whole other hour of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, there's a whole bunch of factoring that goes into it that you're like, well, I do see them potentially doing another rate raise. I don't, I think anyone stating that they're pausing is incredibly, because even Powell, Powell accidentally went, it's a skip. And he goes, I shouldn't call it a skip, which basically implies, okay, they're going to rate raise in July. And you should expect that. The thing about it is, though, is that interestingly enough, um, rate raises actually haven't changed the liquidity scenarios that we've found ourselves in. Mm-hmm. So money is still really pretty easy to come by. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because I've talked about this before, is that when home buyers, when the majority of home buyers bought, right, they bought it essentially 0% interest. Yeah. Right. So they're not under a lot of pressure to sell and move. Yeah. For the most part. So rate raising targets loans and a lot of people are already situated in really, you know, really favorable loans that they've already taken out. Yeah. And they're not really looking to switch up their loans right now. So uh on top of that too, uh uh so then there's the balance sheet. The Fed could reduce the balance sheet, which was they, they bought a lot of securities when COVID happened. So they took a lot of bonds off the market. Yeah, They could put bonds back on the market and, and pull cash back off, but they really don't want to do that because that really messes up a lot of things. Yeah, The same, the same reason why the Treasury doesn't want to do, do it to refill their TGA. And even then, the post that I, that I did on the TGA uh, basically pointed out that Hey, the levels that the TGA has been at in 2022 and 2021 are historically unprecedented. Like we shouldn't necessarily expect the TGA to go back to the same levels that that they were at before. Um, you know, looking more towards like a 200 billion dollar uh, balance on TGA makes a lot more sense than a 400 billion dollar balance. Yeah, and on top of that. Two, we have the reverse repo, which I've explained to you before, right? Yeah. Where it's the overnight lending, right? And it's creating yeah. a lot of cash easiness. And it's at its highest. I think it's at like $2.175 trillion, yeah. something like that. It's, it's an insane amount, right? And you get 1% back every night. And mm-hmm. I mean, two point, you know, 1% of $2.175 trillion, that's not, I mean, you know, it's not incredible, but it's, it's nothing blanket. That's still a lot of money entering the system every single night for you know, every week. Yeah. And people have figured it out and they're like, oh, the Fed's not going to stop. They're not going to change the liquidity because for whatever reason, they know that the economy is slowing down and they're kind of putting the brakes on, but really it's not work. Like it's kind of working, but it's not really working. Yeah. Because core inflation isn't dropping. Yeah. So the Fed's like, they can kind of sense it, but they don't have the data to figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? And to be fair, if I was in the same position, I, I'd i be like, yeah, we're pretty close to terminal, 
I would have probably done a 25 pip on uh, in in June just because the rule of thumb is get it over uh, the highest inflation rate, right? Yep. For the FFR. And they're at 5.25 right now and core inflation is at 5.5. Five. So, you know, you, you could have got it to 5.5, five, got it even, and then there's no there's no doubt that the break is at least equal to to the acceleration yeah at that point but you know they might have to go a lot higher and i don't think they reduce this year and i i not even sure that they reduce early next year either i think that they really are trying to get around pulling cash actively off the market they're just trying to slow the speed at which cash circulates i think they're they're trying a different approach on it and it's a lot slower method, and in theory, a lot more people are going to burn because of it. Really, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot more wealth is going to be lost, I think, in theory, than than quickly doing it. Yeah. But they're trying to see if they can just ease the break enough to get inflation in the cash flow rate to slow down. Because I, I'm guessing part of the rationale, but they'll never come out and say this, is that for most of the last decade they've missed their two percent inflation mark, and it wasn't like um oh inflation was at four percent this year it was like they were supposed to keep inflation at about two percent year over year but it was actually at like 1.2 or like 1.5 right so uh as economies grow yeah right as gdp grows as the economy gets bigger Mm -hmm. you want more cash to keep coming into the market like more cash than you put into it because then it 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 keeps cash flowing well and essentially you think of it like an engine you want you want like enough oil to be running through the engine so that you know there aren't skid like the engine doesn't like skid up and you know yeah. damage stall and out. stall out overheat damage yeah right um so if you want it running at like optimal speed you have to keep pumping it in with additional cash so that it can grow yeah and then they overdid it in 2021 and now I think they're kind of like, well, we missed it by the undermark for the last decade. You know, we were supposed to do it already. So if we can just kind of get inflation to stop its velocity yeah. and get the velocity back to about 2%, then we've probably done the right thing here. You know, we don't have to take, infl- we don't have to take all that extra cash back off the market because it was kind of supposed to already be in there over the last decade. And um, to be fair, the markets kind of pointed that pointed that out. Anyways, there was, I would say, back in 2017, um, you could kind of tell that the markets were lagging versus where the valuation should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we probably are in a bubble somewhat, but there's also a lot of other weird factors battling at the same time. And most importantly, liquidity is is there. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to it's hard to disavow. So there's a there's a very typical rule of thumb that you follow when entering and exiting a, a bear market. So if you go below if you go below the 250 uh, moving average of the market, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's typically bottom. Yep. For the sell off. And then once you go back above the 250, that's typically the sign that the bull market has started again. Some people use the 20, the plus or minus 20% rule. That one kind of works too. Although if you're in a high velocity, high volatility market, it doesn't work incredibly well. 
So this past couple of months, we just passed over the 250 and the bottom seems to have solidified and, you know, there's a new base that seems to have formed. So going long as I tweeted back in January seemed to be the move of the year. It still seems to be about the move of the year. Um, and yeah, there's definitely some things that are probably overvalued. I mean, a 20 PE and I don't, I don't remember what the GDP ratio of the market is right now, but you know, I mean, people have consistently commentated that the GDP ratio to the market continually shrinks. And if I can remember it off the top of my head, I could actually, I could actually drill some knowledge on these fools, but (laughs) (laughs) I can't, I can't recall it right now. So forgive me. Um, Anyways, I can tell you're getting tired, so why don't we, why don't we wrap things up so we can go install our, our wine shelves and our bookshelf. There's a lot of information. My brain yeah. scrambled. I'm just hoping you pick up most of it like osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, I think it was, I think it was really like informational tonight. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's like, it's funny. We never come on here planning what we're going to talk about. We just talk. It just right. ends up being, you know, we said we were going to talk maybe a little bit about Powell. Well, I did, I did talk about Powell a little bit. Yeah. I know, but what I'm saying is, like, that's the one. Oh, yeah, we're, like, we, we, we have, like, one topic we want to hit, and then, yeah, the rest of it's kind of, like, whatever. Yeah. It's not planned or anything. No. But I think that works well. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Well. Until next time. Until next time. Love you. Thank you. Love you.